We're getting back into our series. It's been two weeks. It feels like it's been forever since we were here. We were, we were talking about this series called Boundless, uh, God's Relentless Love. So we're going to get back into it here. And, and in this book, we're looking at the Old Testament book of Hosea. Okay? And this book, this, the reason we're looking at this book is it's a wonderful, amazing illustration and story of God's love for his people. And today we're going to answer one question. How does God handle unfaithfulness? What does God do when we turn away from him, when we ignore him, when we disobey him, when we make other things more important than him in our lives? How does God handle that? So how would you answer this question? How would you answer that? What does God do in the face of our unfaithfulness? Well, there are basically three types of answers to this question. So first, some of you might say, he loves and forgives us. So some of you will fall on the top of that triangle. Some of you will say, God, that he loves and forgives us. Now, some of you will say, he is angry and he punishes us. And then still others of you will say, he's distant and uninvolved. Now, realistically, your answer to the question and my answer to this question falls somewhere in this triangle. You're probably not smack dab in the middle. That means you've got to really balance theology. And, and, but most likely, you probably gravitate toward one of these corners or maybe one of the walls. You're split between two. So take a moment. Look at this di diagram here. Where would you fall in answering the question, how does God handle unfaithfulness? Well, for me, um, I fall kind of over on the right-hand side here, sort of somewhere in between he loves and forgives, and he's distant and uninvolved. Because you see, I don't really, I don't see God as angry or punishing. My parents weren't like that. That's nothing I experienced in my home life. Um, my church wasn't like that. So that's never really been a part of my faith. For some of you, it has been a part of your faith and your family. So maybe you lean toward that. That's not really me. So I fall sort of somewhere on that right-hand side, uh, uh, somewhere around God loves and forgives. He's distant and uninvolved. Right? So what about you? Where would you fall onto this triangle? But more importantly, what's the correct answer? What's the right answer? How does God really feel and respond when we disobey him? What does he do? Well, thankfully, we don't have to answer that question ourselves because it's there in the Bible. God gives us this gift of Scripture, and he answers a lot of the questions we have. So in Scripture, it actually talks about this a lot, that God's response to human unfaithfulness. It's all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And Hosea, this one little book toward the end of the Old Testament, is a great example, and it's a great story to, that answers this question. So that's what we're going to look at today. And so, we, oh, before I get started, I also want to give a little plug for, if, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you, you saw a video that we played, an amazing summary video on the book of Hosea. If you weren't, I highly recommend, go Google the, the Bible Project Hosea. They have this amazing video out there. In fact, we even have um, this little mini poster that this video 
talks all about this poster and goes through. And we have more of these out. We ran out last week because all of you came and grabbed one. So we have more out at the info table. Go grab one of these and then watch that video. I've, I just keep watching it over and over again because it's just so good. So go grab one of these after service if you didn't get one a couple weeks ago. So the book of Hosea answers the question, um, what, how does, what does God do with our unfaithfulness? The, he, and he answers it in part through this idea called a prophetic symbol. So what's a prophetic symbol? Well, it's a physical action that symbolizes something much bigger and deeper. So here's an example. So I've got a big jar of water here. I've got some food dye. And just like a single drop of food dye can color an entire jar of water. Just like a single drop of food dye can color an entire jar of water. A single sin in your life defines you as a sinner in the eyes of a holy, perfect God. So see what I did there? Something physical that represented a bigger, deeper spiritual truth. Now, Here's another one, a little one from U.S. history for all you history buffs. Um, anyone recognize this woman up here? That's Rosa Parks. So back in 1955, she refused to give up her seat on the front of a bus to a white man that had come on board. And that single act galvanized the civil rights movement. That single act became symbolic of something so much bigger. And she, she, I'm sure, had no idea how important and symbolic and historical and transformative that single act would become. But she became a prophetic symbol. Because it, that one physical action became symbolic of something much, much larger. So Hosea, I'm going to move that before I kick it over and spill red water all over our speaker, because <laughs> that's exactly something I would do. <laughs> so, um, so let's get back to Hosea. We're going to look at the first chapter, Hosea 1, well, and one verse out of chapter 2. Okay? But we're going to look at Hosea, and together we're going to discover this amazing prophetic symbol that Hosea, that, that God gave Hosea, and that he gives to us. So we're going to start at the beginning with Hosea 1.1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Okay. So this opening paragraph, this sets the stage, it sets the scene and the historical context for the book of Hosea. Now, I'm sure you all recognize every one of those names up there and, and could pronounce them with as much ease as I did. Yeah, right, okay. That's just gibberish up there, I'm guessing. Okay. So, let me give you a little bit of explanation. So, first, this says that Hosea, this, the prophet, was the author or the speaker in this book. So, this book contained 
things Hosea wrote and, most likely, things that he spoke that somebody else wrote. Right? So that's the first thing it says. Now, the second thing it says is that this book and the events of this book happened at a specific period in time. This isn't just a random set of books. This happened at, in our timeline of history. So here's a map to give you a little, little idea here. So, so this verse talked about Israel and Judah. The nation of the whole people of Israel were divided. It was a civil war, okay? You know the whole thing, Cap versus Iron Man, same thing, exactly, okay? So Israel was at the top, the northern kingdom, and Judah was in the south, the southern kingdom. And this passage talks about some kings, okay? So there were four kings that it mentions in the southern part in Judah, and there was one king that the passage mentions in the northern part in Israel. And they know from history and the history records when these kings reigned. So you could tell that this book happened around the 700s B.C. Right? So that gives you a little bit of timeline. So 700 years before Jesus, that's when all of this stuff, 7, 750, when all of this stuff was going down. Okay? So, there, but there's even something more important. There's even something more important than geography that this first verse tells us. And that is that God spoke these words. It's the word of the Lord. That was the job description. That was the function of the prophet, was to speak God's words. So these are not Hosea's ideas, and they definitely aren't my ideas. They aren't the ideas of some people who compiled the Bible and wrote it later. No. These are God's words spoken here. So with each one of these verses we talk about, I'm going to talk about a prophetic point that's a part of this prophetic symbol. So here in this, this passage, this verse, the prophetic point is that these messages are from God. And this is critical to understand when we start to get to the messages. So let's move on. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So God goes, tells Hosea to go marry a woman named Gomer. We're going to learn her name in just a moment. But, uh, with a bit of a shady reputation. Now, if you grew up in church and you ever heard like a Sunday school teacher or a pastor teach on Hosea, you, that you might have heard Gomer was a harlot or a whore or a prostitute. Um, a little deeper study into the Hebrew here, that might not be true. It's, it's actually unclear. But we do know that this is a woman with a reputation. Whether she was promiscuous before marriage or after marriage, it's not entirely clear. And why would we, we deliberately demean a woman of Scripture simply because we think she was a prostitute? We just don't know. Okay? So, but we know she had a reputation. So not exactly the sort of girl you'd want to take home to mama. Okay? That's what we can take from this. Now, the, the prophetic point, the prophetic point here is that Israel has been unfaithful and has worshipped other gods. So see how, how God is beginning to set up this prophetic symbol? 
that, that just as, uh, as Hosea is being asked to marry Gomer, a promiscuous woman, there is a, that, that Israel, God's people, have been unfaithful to God. And so that's, that's the big prophetic symbol he's setting up here. Okay? And, and that's exactly this, 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 this adultery that he refers to and kind of he, that God alludes to is Israel worshiping other gods. They had set up temples to other gods such as Baal, one of the, the common larger gods of the area. They had even mixed and, and combined worship with other gods, with worship of the one true God. They bowed down. They ate food sacrificed to idols. They were doing all these things that God clearly said, you don't do this because you are worshiping other gods. And that's what they had been doing. This, this period of time, the 700s, um, is one of the darkest periods in Israel's history because they have just turned their backs on God. So that's the setup. Um, and then politically, they were also in turmoil. The kings literally were killing each other and taking over the throne. Spiritually, they were a wreck. Uh, they had more powerful enemies surrounding them. So even geopolitically, it, it was just a bad situation. So let's continue. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. Because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Oof. So now, now God symbolizes his judgment against Israel. Israel has turned away from God. They have said they have broken the very first commandment. Couldn't even get past number one. And God says, okay, it is time for my judgment. And he symbolizes this judgment through their first child. And now that there are some, th some names mentioned in here, Jezreel, Jehu. So, so here's a little bit of background. So God calls, tells Hosea to name the child Jezreel. Okay? And refers back to this slaughter, this murder in the valley, uh, which sounds like a really bad B movie. It's murder in the valley. Okay? But, that, but there actually was something that happened. About 200 years, or sorry, about 100 years prior, about 100 years prior, this man, Jehu, killed the king of Israel and took over the throne. And, and not only killed the king, but also killed a whole slew of his family, his, his lineage. And that was this massacre that the passage is talking about. Uh, and because of this evil and the whole reign of evil kings, it had been about 200 years of evil kings in Israel. Pretty much the worst kings in Israel's history had been go happening for those 200 years. And because of that, here's God's prophetic point. God will punish Israel for their murderous actions. God will punish Israel. But there's even a twist to this. The name Jezreel in Hebrew means he scatters. It, it's, the, it's the word for throwing out seed in a field. He scatters seed. And it's symbolic of what will come later as, as God scatters the people of Israel 
out from their homeland. And they become captives by the folks who take them over. So there's this foreshadowing in the name Jezreel. So if you think that's rough, <laughs> it gets worse. Let's continue. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should for forgive them at all. Think about that. that. That is harsh. So they have a daughter together. And God tells Hosea, name her not loved. Because because Israel and their disobedience and their murder and their idolatry, I will, I will withdraw my love from Israel, and I will forgive them no more. That's God's punishment. That's judgment that, that came to the nation of Israel. So the prophetic point here, God will no longer, he will not show his love to Israel because of their disobedience. So their daughter becomes the prophetic symbol. Okay, and th there's one more verse that kind of attaches to this. Here it is. Yet, I will show my love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. So while Israel, remember Israel was the north, Judah was the south, so while Israel, God is withdrawing his love from Israel, he will, at least for now, still save Judah, the southern nation. But he reminds them, it's not by your military, it's not by your tanks, it's not by your horses, it's not by your bombs. Okay, well, horses and spears maybe, but it's not by any of that. It is not by your strength. God wants them to know it is by his power and his might, not theirs. So he says, for a time, I will still save Israel, Judah in the south. Now, if you remember from the map, there you go, okay? So the northern kingdom, God is withdrawing his love, but the southern kingdom, it will stay. Now, unfortunately, if you fast forward a good 50 to 100 years, <laughs> Judah goes through this same thing. But for now, he will still love Judah and save Judah. So let's continue. After she had weaned Lu-Rohamah, remember the second daughter, the second child, the daughter, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. That's harsh. They have another child, another prophetic symbol. And God says, name, name that son Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And historically, it's kind of what happened. So the prophetic point here says that God is going to abandon his people. And that's exactly what happened. Because around 725, 725, that's when the Assyrians attacked, Assyrians from the north attacked Israel and demolished them, took over the country. And, the, and they, they 
took away the Israelites as captives. Judah was still standing. Israel was no longer. And that, it was a tragic ending to 200 years of tragic Israel life, of worshiping other gods, of dismissing and ignoring the one true God, the one who had called them and saved them and called them his people. He, he now says, you are no longer my people and I am no longer your God. So, so do you see how, how God is using these children, the, the names of Hosea's children, as these symbolic, um, uh, the prophetic symbols for Israel. Now, one, one thing you might be thinking at this, especially if you have kids, how could he do this to kids? Like, I, that crosses my mind. Like, how do you like to be called not loved? That's rough, okay? There is a bigger picture here, and it does show that, that God reigns supreme over all of us and all of our families. And in case you're feeling for these kids, forget Hosea, forget Israel, man, they deserve it, but the kids, okay, hang in. There's, there's a little bit more here, okay? So, so God is using these children's names as names for Israel. See how he's doing it? That's the prophetic symbol, is he is naming Israel, the group of people. He's naming them God scatters. He's naming Israel not loved and na naming them not my people. So this actually isn't about the kids as much as it is about the nation of Israel. Okay? And it's heartbreaking when you think about it. And it's heartbreaking when you, when you see these names, especially when you look back at the history of God with his people how full of grace and full of love he has been with them. But this isn't the end of the passage. This isn't the end of the passage. Let's continue. This is verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved ones. The prophetic point here is that at some point, God will restore his people. At some point, God will redeem his people. And this is the consistent theme across all of the prophet books. There are some of the harshest words of judgment you will find in the whole scripture, in the books of the prophets. But there are also the most hopeful, the most healing words of restoration and redemption in the prophet books. And that's what God is saying here. Remember the names he gave Israel? Remember the names? God scatters, not loved, not my people. In these two verses, in these last two verses, God promises that one day 
Israel will get new names. Let's look at it again. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which that one, that one harkens back to God's original promise with Abraham. His original promise of the Israelites to be his people, and he would be their God. So when the people heard this, they knew exactly what God was saying. Those promises I made you thousands, a couple thousand years ago, they're still good. You will still, you will not be destroyed. So the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In this place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. You, you, one day you will no longer be not my people. You will be children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. You will no longer be scattered. You will no longer be Jezreel, scattered. You will be come together. They will appoint one leader and come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, my people, say to your sisters, my loved one. You will no longer be not loved. You will be my loved one. That's amazing. No longer will you be scattered. God will bring them together. No longer will they be not loved. God will call them my loved ones. No longer will they be not my people. God will call them children of the living God. So despite Israel's sin, disobedience, idolatry, God shows his boundless love by giving them new redeemed names. That's the incredible story of Hosea 1. And that's what being saved means. That's what being restored means. It's being given a new name. It was true for Israel back then, and it's true for us today. This is exactly why Jesus Christ came to die on a cross and be raised to new life. So that we could receive a new name. That we don't have to sit in judgment of God for our sins and disobedience. We can be redeemed. We can be restored. We can receive a new name. Listen to how the book of Romans describes it. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit that gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are set free from sin and death. Yet you no longer have to receive God's judgment. Because that's the penalty Jesus Christ took on the cross. Instead, you can receive a new redeemed name. That's why it's over and over again you hear from me up here the importance of believing in Jesus Christ. And that it's not, it's not just about coming to church. It's not just about working harder and trying harder to be good. 
Because neither of those saves you from judgment. But believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior saves you from God's judgment. He, that that moves you from condemnation to life. It moves you from judgment to redemption. It saves you. And God gives you a new name. And don't you want a new name? Are you tired of the name you've been calling yourself? Are you tired of the name that you grew up hearing? I think we all want a new name for some part of us. If you call yourself rejected, God calls you beloved. If you call yourself a failure, God calls you victorious. If you call yourself weak, God calls you strong. If you call yourself lonely, God calls you not alone. If you call yourself hopeless, God calls you full of hope. And if you call yourself wounded, God calls you healed. In Jesus Christ, we can have a new name. You don't have to live with the name you call yourself. You can receive a new name by believing in Jesus Christ. So today... Today's a day to receive God's boundless love. To get a new name for yourself. A new redeemed, restored, healed, hope-filled name. And you do that through Jesus Christ. That's, that's why Hosea is such an incredible picture of what failure and redemption looks like. But it was only a picture in part. But in Jesus Christ, we can see the whole. So today, say yes to Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, and today's the day for you to say, okay, I need to recommit myself to say, yes, Jesus, I am yours. I want that redeemed name. Or maybe you're a somewhat newish Christian. Maybe the last few years, maybe you're coming back to God. You're coming back to church and you found a safe place here at River Life. Then today's the day to reaffirm a decision you made to say, okay, God, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I receive you and I receive that new name. And some of you, some of you are here and, and you're still wondering about this whole Christianity thing. You won't call yourself a Christian, but you like it here and maybe you've been coming a little while. Today's a day to receive eternal life. To give, receive a new name for the very first time. A name that God can give you for hope, for healing, for restoration. Today's that day. So I'm going to close in prayer here. The worship team is going to come up. We've got a couple more songs. And this is an amazing time. These last two songs will be an amazing time for you to receive and respond to God and receive that new name that he has in store for you. Join me in prayer. God, you love your people. 
You love your creation. You love every single one of us. And you want us to be redeemed. You want us to, to live restored the way you created us. God, but we also acknowledge that you judge sin. But thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness that he can give us because he took our sin. He took our place to receive our judgment. Oh God, I am humbled that you would do that for me. And I'm humbled that you would do that for any person here. But you did because you love us that much. Lord, I say a special prayer for any person in here that does not know Jesus Christ personally. Lord, that you grab a hold of their hearts. Draw them to you like I never could. Open up and let them know how much you love them and how much you want a relationship with them. And you want to redeem and restore them and spend an eternity with them. God, and for all whose, whose faith is on shaky ground, who is barely holding on day in and day out, lift them up. Take away their heavy burdens and give them a light burden. And give them strength. Give them peace and comfort in the name of Jesus Christ. God, you are great. And I thank you for this, this story of Hosea and, and what it means for us. So I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.